Scott. Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Heck yeah. And and today we're going to talk about a movie in our series of movies with people named Rooster in it. Um, <laughs> is there more than one movie? <laughs> well, this is, this is episode one of our, of our mini-series. Oh, I wasn't. I haven't been looking at the sidebar on the blog to see what's coming up. I'm sorry. We must. We yeah. like roosters. <laughs> so true grit. We're going to look talk about the Cohen Brothers version, 2010. So good. It is so good. Yeah, really, really great. Have um, you seen the John Wayne? And version? And I, I believe that I have, but I, I, I have dim memories. Um, you know, John, John Wayne. You know, we've we've talked about him a little bit before, but um, yes, we have. I know that I prefer Jeff Bridges to John Wayne in in this, yes, especially. We do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. Okay, good. <laughs> I didn't know what your opinion was, but um, nope. There was a review that I read of this film. And I can't remember who wrote the review. I'm sorry, but uh, he, he mentioned the older version, and he said John Wayne actually won an Oscar for it, right? But mm. he said he played it as if he was yelling across the room the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jeff Bridges, he was much quieter, but uh, he was gruff. I don't know. He was just a rough, rough guy the entire yeah. time. Yeah, it, he played it book. differently. He he's more like the book. And this is I know when I was reading a few things, the Cohen brothers, this is they said maybe the first movie where they've played the whole thing just straight in the mm. genre. Yeah. And I will say, having read the book, yes, they um they did. It's very representative of the book, which oh, is good. really good if you haven't read it. It's, I recommend it. And another review I read, I don't think it was the same one, but they said, uh, similar to what you just said, that it's like the Coen brothers, it was just not them trying to do anything that they do normally, but they just mm-hmm. made a terrific movie that uh, was beautiful and characters were great. The dialogue was amazing. Um, oh, yeah. It was just a, a darn good piece of work is what it is. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Well, for one thing, they yeah. got Roger Deakins to do the cinematography. So case closed on that. I mean, he is the gold standard for that. Um, and it was interesting watching it with uh, the family. The three of us had seen it before a while back. And my mom hadn't seen it. And she loves the book. Hmm. And is very attached to the John Wayne version. And she has a real soft spot for Glenn Campbell, though later she was saying he probably was not the perfect person to put as the Matt Damon character, <laughs> yeah. you know? Le Beef. And I was like, I, I think that's the consensus. But um, I was wondering if it was like Rio Bravo, where, you know, you got Ricky Nelson and Dean Martin, so you have to have a song somewhere. Um, I Probably not. But all I could think of was Glenn Campbell singing a song during this movie, and it just wasn't working for me. <laughs> um, but she really liked this version. Oh, that's she good. Said, I, yeah. She said, I, I can't help it. I like the John Wayne version better because I you know, saw it so long ago and love it. But Mm. she's like, this was a really good version of the book. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And I I should read the book because um, I do love this. In fact, I watched the movie. um, I think it was 
Monday night, you know, so it was a rewatch. Mm-hmm. And then I watched mm-hmm. it again Tuesday night. <laughs> I love it you, so yeah. much. I just love it. Yeah. 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 Well, um, and I will say, I think I got the audiobook on like a daily deal on Audible or something, maybe from the library. It is a wonderful audiobook if you oh, get a good. chance to okay. listen. That's perfect. Yeah. That, that would actually be yeah. the perfect way to. Yeah, exactly. It's the, I can't remember the woman who reads it, but she just does a perfect job. That's great. You know? And the person who wrote the novel is Charles Portis. Mm-hmm. And then Joel and Ethan Cohen wrote the script for the movie. Yeah, and you know, they're interesting. Maybe we've mentioned this before, but they are so good with scripts that they'll often come in and do fix-ups mm. of movies. And a fix-up is like a final edit or oh, something? Yeah, it's like it's, they've got a basic script. And they'll go, well, this is pretty good, but it needs some snap. It needs some oomph. It needs somebody to fix it so it's really good. And they'll come in. And I'm thinking, for some reason, I was thinking it was Argo. I could be wrong. But I think I remember the there was a screenwriter or somebody who wrote the story who was like, well, mine was okay, but theirs was, I read theirs and went, oh, thank goodness they worked on it, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. So um, How fun yeah. that work would be. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I um, I found a script online. I just typed True Grit script, and then I got it. Oh. And um, it's it's great. <laughs> mm-hmm. It says uh, uh, Blue Revision, 3-9-2010. Uh, so I don't know what Blue Revision means, but that's what okay. I'm looking at right here. Okay. And, uh, yeah, as we describe what the movie is, um, okay. uh, Maddie Ross is a 14-year-old girl who begins a movie with a voiceover, and she explains it pretty darn well. People did not give it credence that a young girl could leave home and go off in the wintertime to avenge her father's blood, but it did happen. I was just 14 years of age when a coward by the name of Tom Chaney shot my father down and robbed him of his life and his horse and two California gold pieces that he carried in his trouser band. Chaney was a hired man and Papa had taken him up to Fort Smith to help lead back a string of Mustang ponies he had bought. In town, Chaney had fallen to drink and cards and lost all his money. He got it into his head he was being cheated and went back to the boarding house for his Henry rifle. When Papa tried to intervene, Chaney shot him. Chaney fled. He could have walked his horse, for not a soul in that city could be bothered to give chase. No doubt Chaney fancied himself scot-free, but he was wrong. You must pay for everything in this world one way and another. There is nothing free except the grace of God. There is nothing free except the grace of God, she says. Um, Which is funny because we will talk about this more when we're in the spoilers area, but that is such a perfect introduction because not only are we getting the basic setup, because she comes and then hires somebody, the U.S. Marshal, to go track down uh, this guy, Tom Cheney, Cheney yeah. mm-hmm. so she can bring him to justice and... Um, there are various obstacles on the way, and she insists on being involved. And the this introduction shows 
She is very specific. She never forgets the details about here's all the things that you've done. You've got the two California gold pieces and the horse, as well as killing her father. Mm. And she keeps, where's the other California gold piece, she says at one point. Yeah. So she never lets anything go. (laughs) Ever. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. She is the epitome in this movie of justice and no mercy. And it's not that Tom Cheney deserves mercy, as we can see. He's a pretty gross guy. But, um, and he's mostly weak, but she's that way with everyone. <laughs> and then it's funny yeah. because she thinks she's very righteous because she's always, when she says there's nothing free except the grace of God, and she'll quote the Bible and she'll make her point that way. And in the book, it's much more of the Bible quoting and everything to justify herself. And uh, But so this gives us a real encapsulation of herself as well as the mission. Right. We first see her identifying her father's body. Mm. And right in there, they start to introduce her character in there. And just her way of talking. She talks super fast. She's super confident. She's positive that she's right. Very matter of fact. Very matter of fact, yeah. She she knows, you know, as far as she's concerned, she's right and this is the right thing to do and it will be done. And she's used to getting her way, you can see. Um, at one point there's a telegraph or gram or whatever from her mother <laughs> who's like, you really need to come home. Mm-hmm. And she's telling somebody, she's like, no, um, you know, my sister can help with this stuff. And, you know, then she tells somebody later, mama's weak and disorganized kind of thing or whatever it is. She says, that's the impression you get. She's really just going to take care of this business because no one else will ever. If she right, doesn't. Yeah, and she will see it done. Yeah. But so that's basically it is you see her with, um, rooster Cogburn. Yeah. So rooster Cogburn is the marshal that she picks to go right. after him. She picks him and um, he doesn't really want to be picked, but he's interested in the bounty he can get on Tom Cheney and the outlaws this guy's likely to be hanging out with. He's been after this outlaw, or maybe he hasn't, but and there's also a Texas Ranger who gets involved and the jokes about the Texas Rangers are hilarious. <laughs> um, and played by Matt Damon, who is quite good at being unsympathetic for most of the movie. And you don't usually see him like that. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see him doing a turn where you're kind of like, oh, what a jerk. He's good at it. So, um, and then Jeff Bridges is Rooster Cogburn, as we said. And that's, uh, I think it was the, maybe it was the Roger Ebert review that said, you know, um, or somebody said, John Wayne, you know, was worried about looking old and he wore a corset during the movie and he ha- everything had to be just right because he wanted to look good. Whereas um, Jeff Bridges sank into it like he was a homeless man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. 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 But Jeff Bridges is confident in, uh, Rooster Cogburn is confident in a different way that Maddie can't appreciate or understand. Mm -hmm. So she does a quick judgment the way she does everything. Um, Oh, yeah. And I I loved how uh, the scene where she picked him, right? So she's talking yes. to someone after identifying her father's body. She's talking to someone. And she said, yeah, it's like, somebody. who's the best marshal, right? She asks. And mm-hmm. then, you know, he, he, he lists three of them. And, um, you know, uh, he, he's just talking about their attributes. And for Rooster Cogburn, he says, well, the meanest one is Rooster Cogburn. 
And then, um, then she says, and then there's this one who's meticulous, but he doesn't always get his guy, but he, you know, uh, he, he'll bring him in alive, you know, he says, and then she just says, uh, where do I find this rooster? (laughs) You know, so in, in her head, you know, the mean one is the one she wanted. Yeah. So basically she forces her way into the little tiny posse of the Texas Ranger and Mm -hmm. Rooster Cogburn. Right. And um, what she experiences along the way, it's funny because it seems like it's just an adventure. It's You kind of have to dig to find the deeper stuff, or I did. Mm. They're not laying it out there for you. They're just telling the story. You have to think about the name of the movie. You have to think about her introduction of there's nothing free except the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of reflect on what we're told about Maddie and the fact that she's only 14, so... She's telling the story. She's telling what she thinks is the best version of herself because, you know, that's what you do. And she's telling it as factually as she can, but all of us shade it. And as she's telling it, you're looking at what are these other people like versus what is she like? Mm -hmm. Does she change by the end of the movie or not? What happens? What do we see? Even if nobody changes, what do we see from the contrast between them? And that's where you're going to, if you want, a second level to the movie, which I had to really kind of work at. Um, the movie itself is just so great, no matter what. If you want to, yeah, great mm-hmm. acting, great directing. The It's just like the book. I mean, perfect. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. That makes me want to read the book more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the book is better. I <laughs> yeah. mean, because the book is more. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's it's practically perfect in every way. Very good. Terrific. Yeah. So yeah, I'd go see the movie. (laughs) Yeah, definitely give it a look. Um, But yeah, let's, let's talk about it more in depth. All right. So something I wanted to uh, mention is you, you pointed out, you know, Maddie wants the meanest Marshall. Yeah. And she keeps talking about, she needs someone who's got true grit Mm. and it starts to bring up, she wants the meanest one. So she must think that's true grit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what is true grit? Yeah. So right. And what and what is uh what is proper for a person to do in, in revenge, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's she's acting like this is just what you do, almost like a lawyer. You know, she's she she mentions right. the law all the time, but she's she's approaching it in a she's acting in a way that is cold, matter of fact, and lawyerly. But every now and then we see her emotional. Um, mm-hmm. like for example, when they're, she's, she's getting some of the stuff that her dad had, um, yeah. and, and she shows emotion at that point. Um, so you know that there's something there. Um, but the way that she acts towards everybody else is it's just matter of fact. And she's like, okay, well I'm selecting a person. I need the mean one because this is what I want done. And it's a mean thing I need to need to have done. Mm-hmm. He could be, I want him dead. So or I want him brought back, but if he dies on the way, that's okay. Right. Right. So then, but your question about what it, what is true grit, you know, uh, it's, I guess, you know, are you asking, you know, what is the right way to go about this? What is the right type of person that has what it takes to do what needs to be done here? And then the question becomes, well, what needs to be done here? Right. You know, that's because the question. she starts off, we see, not only does the introduction define for us what she's like, there's a really wonderful scene where she's uh, talking with the lawyer, bargaining over mm. ponies. Love it. Yeah. And um, 
and her father's horse, and it's the stable man. It's uh, <laughs> the guy who owns the stable where the ponies. He sold her father ponies. She wants to sell them back because she doesn't need them anymore. He's like, oh no, those ponies are sold. We're done. And she's like, also, you owe me for my father's horse, which was stolen from your stable. And he goes, well, it was stolen. She's like, right, but you kept it in the stable. You shouldn't have let it be stolen. And Mm -hmm. she is so good at just driving hard points and then shifting ground. Mm. When you're watching it and thinking about it, you notice she's continually, if she's beaten on a point, she never concedes it. She just does a little pivot and drives in again and then goes back to her main point. So yeah. she is very legalistic. Yeah, it's interesting now, um, you know, saying those things out loud that the next scene is her seeing Rooster Cogburn um, for the first time. It, you know, she, she's asked after, after that, um, she, she talks to the person and then she says, I want the mean one, you know, and then he, the mean one is ha- happens to be on trial right now <laughs> or in a trial. And she goes oh, yeah. and watches that. So now we're watching a legal proceeding where Rooster Cogburn is on the uh, on the stand. So I guess that's not yeah. the next scene, but it's a few scenes later. But um, well, yeah, and he's accused of um, essentially kind of shanghaiing these people who were accused of a crime. Yeah, and so it's told from one point of view, he's you know doing the upright thing, and from the other point of view. He snuck up on these people, <laughs> and he's killed most of the other members of their family, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Like, when you're telling me somebody dragged his body back by the wash pot. <laughs> oh, no, I might have done that. you didn't shoot him over there? Well, maybe I did. Maybe. I don't know. Um, and yeah. so it's clear he'll do whatever it takes to get the job done, and he doesn't really think about it much. But it's also clear these guys might have deserved shooting. Yeah, because he is a marshal, and he's... He's supposed to be doing stuff for for the law's sake, you know, for personal profit too. Um, right. that, that was, you know, these these guys are bonded marshals, I think they call themselves, um, and Matt Damon too. But you know, so they they get hired to go get the bad guys, and they get paid for that. Mm-hmm. So he's out there doing his thing, you know, getting bad guys. He's not just out shooting people. Um, shooting oh yes, random and they people. didn't make that clear. Yes, yeah. these are these are definitely. The outlaws, right? You know. Right, yeah. But he was just being accused of using uh, excessive force, I guess you'd say, right? Um, you know, and sneaking up on him and shooting him, and you know, without giving him a chance to to come in on their own or whatever, you know, or arrest him, mm-hmm. take him in alive. So, mm-hmm. so uh, Maddie leaves that proceeding even more resolved that this is the man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is the one she wants. Yeah. Yeah, he's not going to be all namby pamby about law. Right, right. <laughs> fair chances. Tom Cheney deserves no fair chances. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when you think about True Grit, we're shown Rooster Cogburn, who does not look great in the trial because by the time the trial gets done, you're like, oh, yeah, he's kind of shady. He's um, living in the back of a Chinese grocery, sleeping on a cot back there or whatever. Yeah. So he's, he's you know, kind of just <laughs> got nothing. <laughs> yeah. And the thing that makes him interesting in terms of Maddie is he doesn't really care what she wants. He's interested in the money though. He doesn't she can't legally just do her uh quick talk on him. He doesn't care. She tries, yeah. She 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 oh, yeah. lets her rip, but he he turns off and he says, I don't believe stories about money or something like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. He's it's basically like, show got... me the money, show me the money, and that's what I'll yeah. listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then she says, "I've got fifty dollars," and he goes, "That's fine. It'll be a hundred." Yeah. <laughs> what? You know, so I don't have to do anything. You know, he she can't really manipulate him very much, and. So you see that, and you see as you go along, you learn to respect his um, his real sense about how to handle these situations. So the way that he assesses things like the man who was hanging up in the tree, where they probably need to go, uh, the people in the cabin, mm. and um, like the situation with Labeef later. I mean, when he kind of was just sitting going, no, let's just wait and see what happens because, uh, well, hell, now mm. we got to shoot up people. Um, <laughs> but he's not rushing in the way, you know, Maddie would like to. Yeah. He's assessing yeah. things. He's using his experience. And he's not necessarily cold-hearted. He's just pragmatic. Right. You know? And um, I remember that moment that you're talking about when they're outside that cabin. Mm-hmm. And she... She looks at him and she gives him a compliment, you know. Uh, I can't remember what the exact words were, but it was something like, you know, uh, I just can't remember the words. But it was just a surprise to me. Um, but she was just saying, you, you're you handling this perfectly is what she's telling him. Mm-hmm. You know, she was admiring how he was comporting himself right. and uh, how good excited. he was at this. Right, right, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, and that was, you know, shortly after she saw a horrifying thing. So um, she had to have been a little in shock, too. But Yes. um, Well, and then um, when the the outlaws come up, they've got, there's Labeef there, and then the outlaws come up. And she's like, what do we do? What do we do? That's the first time you really see her excited like that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Wait and see this. And she accepts his word and goes along with what he says. Without right. saying anything else, she just does it. And usually that's not her style either, you know. Right. But she's right. going to trust what he says. And then you have Labeef, who has his own way of doing things, much more in line with Rooster. But he's got his own set of goals. And he's kind of like a different version of Maddie because he's like, no, I have my goal and I don't care mm-hmm. about what you want. Yeah, that's that's well put. That's interesting that you said uh, a different Maddie. Very much so. Yeah, he's... He's kind of lawyerly too, in a way, um, mm-hmm. you know, in his, his uh, trying to uh, manipulate people or, or convince people to do things. He has the code of the Texas Rangers. I'm just, this is just kind of coming to me at this moment, but he has the code of the Texas Rangers that he is always talking about, which leads to, to some hilarious moments. And then yeah. um, you have Maddie, who it's not nearly as much in the movie as in the book, but she's continually quoting scripture Mm. and talking about what's the right thing to do based on that. So they have their codes and Rooster's the one who's kind of in between them. doesn't really have a code and he does have a code, but his includes, um, you know, what he considers doing what's right. It means that at the end he's saving her from snake bite and he will ride her horse until it dies. He'll shoot it out of mercy, which doesn't seem like mercy at the time. And then he'll run with her in his arms till he's just about dead himself. Yeah. Because that's the true grit. It's also the mercy. It's mm. also free grace. Yes. Extended to her. Right, right. Yeah, it's all of those things. And you, when you see Rooster uh, at first, he's got the, the, the true grit, the meanness, right? It's like, you know, you don't, yeah. you don't know all that's coming. And so 
you're like, okay, she's picking somebody who's going to kill the guy that she, you know, she wants killed. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it ends up that True Grit means a whole lot more than that. And she chose the right person. Yeah. Yeah. When I was thinking about True Grit this morning, and I'm extremely slowly reading my way through the catechism. So I was, mm-hmm. got to the part about the cardinal virtues mm. and grace. And the cardinal virtues are considered to be the four virtues that lead to all the other ones. Mm. I know you know all this, but I'll just sure, say it yeah, anyway. Please, yeah. um, so it's their prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Mm-hmm. And prudence is, you know, doing the right thing, judging the right thing. Justice is, um, well, being just. I don't know. Fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, mm-hmm. Fortitude is the strength to keep going. And temperance is the strength to not give in to everything. You know, you do things reasonably. Right. And um, I was thinking, you know, she only seems to have justice. He's got a lot more of those. You just don't see them. He doesn't have temperance, I don't think. <laughs> but he seems to exhibit some of the other three, the fortitude, the prudence, the justice. And it does say that you have to cooperate with God's grace and they transform your life. Yeah. When you're working towards those things and everything else comes from them that you want to talk. There's other virtues, but those are the biggies. And I was thinking about those in terms of what does it mean to have true grit. And I was like, I think it's in, in that sense, it's the cardinal virtues. You're working towards what's right mm-hmm. and just, and you're not giving up. And you have um, the judgment to be fair. Because one of the things she wants, she keeps saying she wants justice. Well, she wants her justice because everybody keeps going but I'm going to work with Labeef. He wants to take him down to Texas. He killed a judge there. For a trial, yeah. And, I think, and his dog, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, and it's not like, it, she's like, no, he has to be taken back to Arkansas and he has to be judged there and he has to be killed for my father's death. Right. He has to know that he's being killed for my father's death. That's, right. that's yeah. Right. He has to know that. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, he has to know that. And there's and Rooster's like, we'll make him walk back barefoot, or you can, you know, we'll <laughs> we'll burn his feet and you can rub pepper on him. He'll know. He will absolutely know. She says, no, that is not enough. Hmm. And um, so you have this absolute idea of what's just. And thinking about it, I was going, you know, that judge may have had a family. Hmm. Certainly, it affected a lot of people when he was killed unjustly by Tom Cheney. And um, she also then, she doesn't act like it's because she loves her father, but it must be because she just dismisses her mother as ineffectual. And she's going to go to the ends of the earth and all this trouble and force these people into these actions because she's going to avenge her father. And that can only be as a sign of her love for him, but she never talks about that. Yeah, and she shows it. She shows it that one time in the private Mm -hmm. moment, you know, when she's getting his stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. That's when you see her break a little bit. Right. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the time she seems re- just resolved. But yeah, yeah, why is she so resolved? And it's because of her lack of um, 
I don't know, judgment, I guess, <laughs> for lack of temperance. Yeah, well, she's clearly read a lot of books, right? So well, she, she feels like she knows the what the world is and yeah. how the world works and everything um, just from whatever education she's had at 14, which seems pretty extensive. You know? And she seems a lot smarter than most of the people around her. So, therefore, mm. she has an inflated idea of her own abilities and powers. Yeah. And and she um, is just so obnoxious in the way only a 14-year-old can be obnoxious. <laughs> you know, I know everything and you know nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. And the dialogue in this movie is just so good that, the, you know, you just, when she... When she starts rolling, you know, you're just like, yeah, go get him. <laughs> I was always like, oh, this is great. You know, oh, no, you love to see it. Yeah. But in the same way, it's kind of a pleasure when she's stopped in her tracks sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And Rooster yeah. stops her, right? I mean, Rooster's mm-hmm. able to do that. You know, Labeef yeah. is not really able to do that, not intellectually. You know, he, he tries to spank her, you know, and uh, he tells her, you know, I'm, you know, uh, he says that he actually did it one time. He spanked yeah. her, but he 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 doesn't have the intellectual ability to joust with her in any no. way. But all. Rooster kind of does, you know, because um, because he does it. But it's yeah. like he just the way you're looking at the world is is not even right. So I'm not even listening to you. You know, he uh, he just moves on with his his own manner. And yeah, that his, stops her. And he's not affected by what she's saying. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. He is flexible. That's what his experience has taught him. Mm, that's good. That's and cool. I guess, mm. yeah, that's also what we see in that scenario where Labeef shows up unexpectedly and they're trying to ambush the outlaws. And he's like, oh, I didn't expect this. Yeah. And then he's like, well, let's just wait and see what happens. Okay, well, now we have to do this. And I guess we also see it with his reaction to the person who was hung from the tree. Mm. <laughs> He's just being a jerk. That was funny. And so I'll go up there and see. I don't know. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I like that too. You know, Maddie says, uh, you know, why do they hang him so high? And he just says, uh, maybe they thought it would make him more dead. So, yeah, it's just like, whatever. I don't you know. know. Who that cares? question, yeah, that question doesn't make any sense in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's just so black and white, and so is Labeef. Although Labeef is also, he's he's more flexible just because he's older, um, mm. and not tons. Mm-hmm. But you know, he is hanging around, and he hears the shots at the end, and he comes up, and he's there to make his three hundred yard shot or whatever mm-hmm. it is that that they were arguing about earlier. I do love the way that they bring back these things. Yeah. And again, this is the genius of the book just, that was yeah. originally written, but it's, it's shown to us clearly, you know, there's, Oh yeah, you never could do that says rooster. Well then mm. it's a good thing he can because it saves his life. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. yeah and, that, that's um, a, that's a good script that does that, you know, mm-hmm. You know, we, we've seen some movies, you and I. You've seen way more than me. But you can <laughs> oh, know, often, you know, when somebody says a sentence, it's it's clunky enough where you're like, oh, that's going to come back. Yeah. You know why they put that in there, you know. But sometimes a script can do it without really triggering that. And um, Well, yeah, because yeah. this is part of them jousting the mm-hmm. whole time, Rooster and Labeef. Mm-hmm. 
you know, continually poking at each other. And Labeef is always going, oh, I've drunk, you know, I've been places where he drank out of a footprint. <laughs> it's just going, oh, yeah, I think I think that's part of the ranger's code, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, The day I meet a ranger who hasn't <laughs> drunk out of a muddy hoofprint is the day I'm going to shake someone's hand. Oh. You know, it's just, he just has a way of poking a hole in pretension. Yeah, yeah. Well, I but, guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like you said, just, oh, I believed it the first 20 times you said it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you don't believe it? Well, I believed it the first 20 times. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, I was good. thinking also, speaking of a lot of movies that we've seen, mm-hmm. this movie and the black and white nature of Maddie's desire for revenge and her inability to be flexible really made me think of Les Mis and Jovert. Mm. How interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Yep. And at the end, you know, he commits suicide because he can't stand the variance with his his code, essentially, mm-hmm. and what he's been shown. He just can't handle it. But she, in a sense, um, she doesn't commit suicide, but she's all alone at the end yeah. of the book. Right. You know, yeah, she brings, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. That's she never heard from Labeef. She wrote to him, I think, and she she did hear back from um, Rooster, but just a bit. Mm-hmm. Sent her a flyer. Yeah. Yeah, and it was interesting you know. that Rooster did that, you know. Yeah. Thought to even do that. Yeah. Yeah. But clearly but, her life was affected. Yeah, but you don't get the feeling that she really changed much. No, after no, that. you didn't. Yeah. Yep. And so it, it just made me think of Javert. Um, I don't know. No, that's a really interesting comparison. Yeah. Yeah, I like that quite a bit. I mean, to be a, but at 14 and have such a laser focus on this thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, and Javert had the laser focus on um, finding, um, oh, what's the guy's name in Les Mis? The main character guy. Oh, <laughs> You know, uh, the main character the guy. The main character him. guy. His <laughs> name. Yeah. But, but yeah, so, I mean, he, he was, like, obsessed with that, and Maddie's obsessed with this. But she's so young, she hasn't had time to be obsessed with it forever. But it, you're right, it is kind of the same thing. You know, what's mm-hmm. funny is um, that that opening actually reminded me of the first book we ever did on the podcast. Oh, You know, yeah. The Reapers of the Angels. Um, yeah, it just reminded me of that. Just the very first chapter where, um, it's almost, it's a similar thing kind of, you know, and she, she said, God is a slick God. I think at the end of that, her little mm-hmm. monologue at the opening of that book, yeah, and it just right. rang like it, it reminded me of it. Well, and you're right because so if the, at the beginning she says there's nothing free except the grace of God, what is she reflecting on when she says that? Yeah. Which I assume is her rescue. Yeah, and she she was, I think, just reflecting on the fact that every character in this movie seems to have paid a price. Oh, brother. Right? Yeah. They, they all right. paid something for what they believed or what they have done. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because especially when you think about that in terms of how everybody's defining the situation they're in and who the people are. And Mm -hmm. it makes me think of her conversation with that outlaw, which was priceless Mm. because they understood each other. Yeah. Yeah. They did. And he even, he even smiled, you know, it was just like, you know, he understood what she was 
right. yeah, you know, she was, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it was something about her gun. And uh, he says, yeah, oh, they'll, they'll, they'll do that. You know, it misfired. <laughs> if, if it had not misfired, I would not be in this predicament. You know, and he's like, oh, they do that. Yeah. They will do that. Yeah. Well, and um, yeah, so when you're, when she's, do, they're talking like equals. Mm. He doesn't talk to Tom Chaney like an equal. And you don't expect the outlaw to have this sense of uh, logic and fairness. And, and it's not exactly fairness, but you know what I mean. They mm-hmm. can speak on common ground. Yeah. Yeah, Tom and that Chaney, was that yeah. was really interesting. You know, I wonder why the outlaw felt that way about her. You know, because there's a way that that conversation could have gone that would ended up fairly bad for Maddie, right? Mm-hmm. But yet, you know, she's just talking. Uh, surely she's nervous, but she's she's just talking like she always talks, just as as focused as she always is to this could person who's got her prisoner. And she just, just can't turn it off. She man. just can't turn it off, right? And then, but he reacts to her not in you know you need to shut up now, which is a, a fair thing for him to have said. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's like, you know, I think I kind of like you. You know, mm-hmm. that's the way I felt. What he was he was oh, yeah. exuding, right? And he, and then you know, it's like you know, starting to have a conversation with her about stuff. But then he left her with uh, with <laughs> the guy, you know. So that was interesting too. Yeah, he liked her enough to make provision that if everybody does what they're supposed to, it'll be okay. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get paid if anything happens to her. And if they'd have gone off and come back and everybody would have held on and she'd have kept her big mouth shut, but she couldn't. Yeah, she just couldn't do it. kind of like Mr. Burns saying to Lisa Simpson one time, are you always on? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Shut up. Right. Yeah, she can't. She can't. Right. Well, and so she's alone with Cheney, and she's talking to Cheney, and then Cheney has the reaction that the other guy could have had. But Cheney is like, you know what? No amount of money is worth you being alive because if if I kill you, then nobody can uh, say that I killed your dad. Right. Because yeah. no one else is going to care enough. No to one else is going to care. Right. So yeah. So whoops. Yeah. <laughs> she talked herself into that one. Well, yeah. And this is her lack of um, judgment. Mm-hmm. So she and doesn't have also that, her that temperance. Idea, <laughs> yeah, her idea that because I'm saying what's right, everybody ought to do what I say. And yeah. she just never shuts up. <laughs> right. She's just not wise. Right. She's not she wise. She understands justice. And, and I don't know if mercy, mercy isn't really the right thing. But, you know, justice and mercy have to go along together. Yeah. And maybe mercy is just shutting up and letting the guy think what he wants to think at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, not yeah. rubbing so she's his got, face So, she's it. got the knowledge but no experience that is, yeah. you know, well, you go back yeah. to that word temperance again, right? There's yeah, nothing, the temperance. nothing tempering her knowledge. And no that's experience. what it is. Mm-hmm. And you do see a tiny bit of growth from when she and Labeef come to an understanding, when he's going to leave and go his own way um, from the camp, and they shake hands. And she says, you know, I, I judged you wrong. And he says, well, I judged you wrong, too. And so they both have that softening up. And yeah. if she had been around Rooster more or had different life experiences than losing her arm and just going straight back home to run the farm, which is what happens to her, yeah. then she may have had a chance to become a more well-rounded person than we see at the end. And of course we see very little at the end. I'm basing a little of this based on my memories of the book. I now realize, but 
You yeah, know? I wonder if she uh, sort of was self-punishing too, because, um, you know, mm. she she says, yeah, you know, nothing's free except God's grace. Um, everybody's got to pay for what they've done. And, uh, you know, there was some carnage there. She, she went through a lot, you know, it was like being through a war or something. And then, um, you know, surely that affected the rest of her life in some way. She never admits it, but, um, she does. I did read Bishop Barron's review. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. He did a YouTube thing, but they put the transcript luckily for me. Oh, cool. And, um, so, he kind of takes it, you know, and just to take a quick sidestep, I'm reading the, through the Psalms using this book that takes a lot of excerpts from the Church Fathers. And uh-huh. the people who do the compilation don't make any comment. They just put the Church Fathers' comments out there for you to read and you move on. And a lot of them, especially St. Augustine, will spend a lot of time reading backwards into the Psalms about Christ. Mm. It's something Christ taught us on the road to Emmaus, so this is all right. Mm-hmm. But he kind of does that for this movie in that sense. So he says, you know, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, there's a song that's sung in this movie a lot. It's sounds like a, a gospel song and it is, it's called leaning on the everlasting arms. Okay. Yeah. And it's a movie that we recognized cause it's, it's a key song in, um, a different movie where it's used to great effect, which I won't sidetrack onto that. Mm-hmm. However, he's pointing out that um, Rooster, he says, her single-minded passion for righteousness kicks her into the den of snakes. Rooster gives her grace beyond what is owed when he saves her. And then he's talking about Leaning on the everlasting arms, the everlasting arms, of course, are the arms of God. And he says, Rooster carries Maddie in two arms, justice and mercy. Maddie is only left with one arm, which is justice. Hmm. And I looked at that and I thought, well, that's a pretty deep reading, (laughs) but it does work in terms of the things we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. She's left... Her imperfection is shown to her. She's never allowed to forget that. Right, right. Now, what does that leave her feeling? You know she'll overcome it because she's just got a will of iron. But what else does it do for her? Right. Or help her? Yeah, yeah. How does that affect the rest of her life? Mm-hmm. Very interesting, yeah. You rewatch it and listen for that song. It is used continually mm. as a thread throughout the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Little bits of it here and there. So we're clearly meant to think about it. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's that leaning on the everlasting arms of God. And when you read the song, uh, I can't remember now the verses, mm-hmm. but it does provide a lot of thought. And especially when accompanied by that idea of there's nothing free except the grace of God, you know? Yeah, for sure. So um, I was also struck by the fact, since we're doing deep readings of things, when they were trying to identify Tom Cheney, like he would have had a black mark on his face. Mm. And uh, it's like because of the gunpowder, I think. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he, uh, that's like the mark of Cain. Right. And we're meant to see that, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Very interesting. 
<clears throat> you know, before uh, the podcast, um, we talked a little bit about the good thief um, because oh, yeah. I had I had looked up a prayer and I found this one line prayer that's just called. It says, "Dear Lord, look upon me like the good thief, and I should be so lucky." Full of peace, Amen. And it was just like you know, that's a that's a prayer that uh, a character in this movie could have said because you yeah. know, the di- it fits the dialogue and everything. I just really like it. But yeah. um, but that feeds right into everything that you just said um, about grace and and that um, you know, look upon me as a good thief. And who of us is not guilty? Yeah, right. We're all guilty. It's, do you say, Jesus got, we're stuck up here too, Jesus got what he deserved? Or do mm-hmm. you say, no, 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 no. <laughs> He's the only pure one here. He's the only innocent one. We deserve what we got. Yeah. He didn't. Right, right. Yeah. You know, that's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you feel like <laughs> Rooster's closer to that than anyone. I mean, he doesn't have a great end of his life. He doesn't have all these other things, but... Does he know who he is? Mm. That he does. Yep. And it's like, this is me and that's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so yeah, the the everlasting arms. And then, you know, Jesus, remember me, you know, when you come into your kingdom. Yeah. You know, it's similar. Very good. Yeah. This is, this is cool. So yeah, I got to, I'll look up that Bishop Barron review for sure. Um, yeah. I didn't run across see. that for some reason, but that's, that's very good. Here are the lyrics. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, Mm -hmm. leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. Mm. And then the chorus again, leaning, leaning. So um, it's, you know, who can you trust? How do yeah. you find peace? Right. And blessedness. Yeah. The one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. What a great movie. Um, you know, just that it has all this in it just makes it all, all the better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's about perfect. Yeah. And I'm especially glad for us talking about it because I don't think I would have really noticed the fact that Labeef and the Outlaw are really different versions of Maddie, mm. um, older and with more experience. And honestly, the Outlaw and uh, Labeef <laughs> <laughs> are strikingly similar to each other in certain ways. Yeah, you know? very much so. Which yeah. is, I guess, why he can outwit Labeef all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He kind of understands how he thinks. <laughs> Just I'm, I'm chuckling because I'm remembering Maddie when he she first <laughs> met Labeef saying, "Why are you so ineffectually chasing this outlaw?" <laughs> <laughs> she does have that way of just flipping things uh, in a way someone doesn't expect because he's been saying, "You cannot find him. I am experienced, uh-huh. and I've been chasing him all this time." And she goes, "Yeah." <laughs> You're pretty crappy at it, aren't you? <laughs> well, hey, no, that's not it at all. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, too funny. exactly. Well, because he always wants to impress people, really. Yeah. With yeah. how important he is. That's the drinking out of the muddy footprint and, you know, that stuff. Oh, that's too good. That's too good. Yeah. 
Well, uh, one last thing I wanted to mention, and it's this way in the book, and I'd just be curious for your take on it, this very formal language that is used. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some contractions, but usually it's, I, I will take ex- exception to that. I mm-hmm. will, you know, I do not think this is going to be whatever instead. Right. Um, yeah. you know, uh, so it's always very formal and all the characters speak that way. They do, yeah. I I, I love it. Um, but you know, Firefly was like that too. Um, oh my gosh! You know, there there's right. you know, I don't know what it is, but it's just a a really cool way of doing this. You know, yeah, they it, have more of a mixture, but yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I aim to this, right? I swear by then, my pretty using... floral bonnet, I will end you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and they won't use uh in this movie they don't really use slang. True. Like yeah. I aim to do this, I will mm-hmm. end you or whatever. But um Yeah. I just find it, it it's an interesting style and it makes you think did people talk like that? I don't I don't know. I don't know where it it comes from. Um you know, so Labeef, I'm looking at the script right here. Labeef says, he's talking to Maddie. Um, and he says, you give out very little sugar with your pronouncements. You know, while I sat there watching you, I gave some thought to sealing a kiss, though you were very young and sick and unattractive to boot. But now I have a mind to give you five or six good licks with my belt. And then Maddie says, one would be as unpleasant as the other. If you wet yeah. your comb, it might tame that cow lick. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's mm. it's a it's a cool pattern of speech. I don't know, I don't know where it comes from. Uh, I I don't know if they spoke that way. I don't think that they did. Maybe that's how they wrote letters and stuff. Um, because that's all yeah. what we would have. I don't know. I saw one <clears throat> person mention it who said it made them think about the fact that this is being told by a 40 year old woman mm. in retrospect. Interesting. Yeah. She's the reason everybody sounds the same pretty much mm. in that way. Yeah. Is that she is telling the story and therefore we are kind of reminded that she is proper. Mm-hmm. She's this is the way she thinks everybody should speak and that it's colored a little bit by her own focus. Now, I don't wow. know if that's true, but it's an interesting. That idea. is a really interesting perspective, you know. And I am looking at the script again, and it says, "My name is Labouf. I have just come from Yell County." Yeah. Yeah. So it could be. This is just how she writes. That's a really mm-hmm. interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's being all super proper with it. Yeah. And then, well, and it's yeah, yeah it's um. It gives it a flavor that is unique and that is everybody I know that ever mentions that when you ask them, they're just like, I just love that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's something yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. It and is. I think that that was picked up in Firefly and um, mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons why that show is so appealing to me is the dialogue, just yes. how they speak to each other and what they say, you know, yes. is just part of the, part of the fun of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, terrific. Yeah, and then they did it again in um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You know, uh, there was a similar oh, speech pattern yeah. there. Not as pronounced. Yeah. Well, you because know, I'm just thinking, accent. yeah, I mean, so I guess 
yeah, so the the main character there, George Clooney, I remember him saying something. They said, well, who put you in charge of this outfit? And he said something like, well, I thought it would be the person with the ability for abstract thought. <laughs> you know? And then um, yeah. what, what else? There was like, uh, um, oh, I just, I'm not going to remember the lines. But but they're memorable things. But he's speaking in a in an atypical way um, mm-hmm. in that movie. At least uh, George Clooney was. No, and they would sometimes because you think about mm-hmm. when he comes across um, Holly Hunt. Yeah. Penny. Right. And they're speaking to each other like that. But there's uh-huh. some kind of a different cadence or accent or tone where it almost takes it and makes it semi-formal at the same time as the words are f- more formal. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. I had forgotten that. Yeah. And that's that's another Joel and Ethel Cohen movie. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, but dialogue is something that they're really good at. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's one of their strengths, yeah. um, these guys. So, yes. but fun. Yeah. But I do yes. love it. I do love it. And um, Maddie speaks so quickly. And uh, Rooster st- uh, mumbles and barely moves his jaw. Um, you know, so I, I did watch it with uh, the subtitles on. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was good. I caught all the words. <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? Uh-huh. We did, too. I yeah, because, because she screams. I mean, she she talks so quickly, uh, yeah. Maddie. You know, We um, watched it that way because my mom needs ah, subtitles. Yeah. And so I hadn't thought about it. And there were a few moments, now that I remember, where I was going, oh, I don't think I caught that line yeah. before. It's yeah. like you kind of know what they're saying, but that's just Maddie. You know, she's like, bam flies yep. when she speaks. I mean, it's just like yeah. really yeah, comes that out. Actress. Yeah, she she did terrific. And I don't know that had to be pretty early in her career. I've seen her in some other things. Oh, Hattie so. uh Hattie Steinfeld, I think is her name. Yeah. Um but yeah, I thought she did a really great job. Yeah, Haley. Haley Steinfeld is her name. And then Josh Brolin played Tom Cheney. Oh. It was yeah. a pretty small part for him, but it of was. course he did well. Yeah, it was. Sniveling coward. Yeah, and then I, I loved seeing Dom Hall uh, Gleason. That was fun. He oh. was he was just in there briefly. I didn't realize it was him till I was looking through the credits later, and I yeah. said, "Oh my gosh, he's like a chameleon in this." Yeah, one. I didn't notice it was him until he was on the ground gasping for air, okay. and I was like, "That's that's him," you know. Yeah, you could see it. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I was not mm-hmm. looking. Uh-huh. I was trying to make sure I didn't see certain things that uh-huh. were on the table. Yeah, um, yeah, that was no good. <laughs> yeah. No, that was gross. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Anyway, well, great. Well, very good movie. <laughs> Thanks for watching this thing with me. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you picked it. Oh, yeah, so happy too. Very, very good. Okay, well, what have we got next? We're just gonna stay in the western. Uh, we are. Yeah, the Virginian by Owen Wister. This, they say, is the novel that started it all. Really? Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, this is the one mm-hmm. that, I mean, Teddy Roosevelt loved this book. Ooh. Everyone loved this book. So Very many good. imitations. And there may have been other books that were in a Western sort of a genre, but this one nailed it to Very the wall. Very good. And all right, cool. And, yeah. So it's a, it's a real classic, mm-hmm. and um, I love it a lot. Very good. I am looking forward to it. So then there's one other thing that we're adding to the website. 
That's right. We're uh, adding a uh, some book lists <laughs> and movie lists, both. Yes. So we're adding some pages, and these will be. Um, we're get, probably will add to them more to more in the next few weeks than we will mm-hmm. later, where it will be a bit occasional. But um, we thought that there are some things that we probably will never cover here, but that you guys might be interested in, such as you know scriptural commentaries or uh, inspirational movies. That and we've covered some inspirational movies, but you know just to have um, those things available. That if you were like, what are the top three or four or five or six that we know of yeah and yeah. so we just thought we'd put them there with yep. a, maybe just a, a description of why we like them or what's unique about them and you bet. Um, that will be up with the first movie list and the first book list as this podcast airs mm-hmm. that's right so then we'll announce at the end of each podcast if we've added something so you can go look and so what will these two be Scott. In the movies, we're going to do inspirational movies. And then under books, we're going to do books about Jesus. Those are the two that will be available uh, with this podcast (laughs) or at the same time. Yeah. So you can just swing by the blog and look in the Mm. tabs across the top and there will be Yes. A tab for books and a tab for movies. And please, yeah, let us know uh, yours too. (laughs) Send us your favorites because I would love to hear it. Yes, definitely. Yeah, we like recommendations. That's we saw a books list on what's it, the Burrowshire podcast mm-hmm. that made I was going, Oh yeah, these are all good and here's a couple of things I hadn't heard of and here's something I just discovered anyway. And so it made me think, Oh, people might like that from us. Great. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. And uh we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you.